Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. This month's episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast is brought to you by MyoVision. If you're a traffic engineer or city planner, you know that measuring travel time data from point A to point B may seem simple, but it's been difficult to collect and even harder to trust. That's why MyoVision, with over 12 years of experience, created a new way to request, collect, and use reliable travel time data. MyoVision Data Link is the industry's only end-to-end tool for requesting, delivering, and using traffic data, and it's what sets MyoVision travel time reporting apart from the rest. With Data Link, you can go from requesting data to having your data in days instead of weeks or months. And MyoVision makes it super easy. No more scrubbing and fighting with bad data. Data Link automatically applies filtering for you and gives you all the tools you need. Plus, since we collect video with all your accounts, you'll have access to ground truth data for your traffic studies. Smart cities need smart data. Visit datalink.myovision.com to learn more about travel time data from MyoVision or to start your own data project. Thanks for joining us at the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast as we conclude our series, Looking at Transportation and Health. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. This month's guests are from Minnesota, which is very appropriate, since Minneapolis is the site of the Joint ITE International and Midwestern Great Lakes District's annual meeting and exhibit, which takes place in August. I'm joined today by Amber Dahlman, pedestrian, bicycle, and transit planning supervisor with the Minnesota Department of Transportation, Matthew Deardahl, the bicycle and pedestrian coordinator in the Department of Public Works for the City of Minneapolis, and Sarah Stewart, Active Living Coordinator for the Minneapolis Health Department. Welcome all three of you to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. for having us. Great to have you here. And why don't we get right into this by talking since we've been doing this this series. This is the fifth in the series that we've been doing with health and transportation. I'd like to hear from each one of you why you think it's important to link health and transportation. What do you see as the important aspects of that? So this is Amber, and I think one of, one of the things that we have here at our Minnesota Department of Transportation is we have a 50-year vision for a multimodal transportation system that maximizes the health of people, the environment, and our economy. And we, we realize, and I certainly recognize, that health is woven into our transportation system overall. So that means through modal options like walking, bicycling, and transit use, which are directly connected to our environmental health with air and water quality, uh, how that impacts or affects um, injury prevention or motor vehicle, pedestrian, bicycle crashes, and uh, how our transportation system can directly provide access to where people want to go, like healthcare, um, specifically related to health and food and employment. So those are areas that I think we're making progress on at the DOT uh, and are working on making sure we're building networks for that support people using those options. This is Sarah, and I, um, I agree with Amber, and I think here at, in Minneapolis, um, you know, we think about, I work in um, mostly in chronic disease prevention, um, and, and 
for people to be able to make healthy choices, they need to be able to have healthy options. And um, so we see our transportation system here as, as one way to help enhance um, the options people have for, for taking care of their health. And um, and also, I think the access piece is really important. You know, we do a lot of different projects where we're often working with kind of more vulnerable populations in, in the city, including, for example, um, you know, public housing residents who, um, you know, we've worked with some of them to understand what are some of the barriers for you getting around. And it turns out that kind of the walking environment is one thing that keeps keeps these residents from being able to leave their homes and, and access the things they need, um, health care and food and, and everything. So, um, you know, creating um, systems that support biking, walking, and, and transit really um, help help in a lot of ways for our residents. Yeah, and, and this is Matthew, and I'll add that the city of Minneapolis has a lot of strong policy around um, transportation and health uh, that supports walking, biking, and transit. And I'll focus first on our Complete Streets policy, which fairly strongly acknowledges that in much of the 20th century, uh, transportation planning and infrastructure investments were really geared or skewed towards providing efficient movement for motorized travel. And our complete streets policy um, makes a commitment to rebalancing the transportation network by prioritizing walking, biking, and transit over motor vehicles. Um, and I think that's, a, that's an important health um, policy. Two of you are from the city of Minneapolis, and one is from the state of Minnesota. How does health factor into transportation planning at the state and the city levels? So I think it's clear that most people probably experience walking and bicycling specifically at a very local level, and the state does have an impact on how uh, we prioritize things, and I think that also helps set the tone for how other communities, uh, um, how they think about planning and walking and bicycling specifically. So some of the things that we do um, in Minnesota is we have a couple of modal plans related to walking and bicycling. Our statewide bicycle system plan has some pretty specific goals around if we're talking, and this is really just talking about active transportation, not necessarily some of the other health impacts that we were previously chatting about, uh, but how we would look to increase bicycling throughout the state. And a lot of that has to do starting right off the bat with how do we increase local networks. And we heard from people throughout our state that people want to walk and bike in their communities, uh, and we have a role and responsibility in how they get across the trunk highway systems and the roads that we own and have jurisdiction over that help them get to school, food, uh, parks, or transit and other destinations. And then we also are looking at how we increase our bicycle statewide bicycle routes, so how do we support inter-community travel, which also has an impact on the economic health of our communities and tourism in the state. And the other thing that I think we heard, and this has an impact on health, is that people really felt strongly about increasing separated bicycle facilities, and that includes on- and off-road facilities, so making sure that they have their dedicate, own dedicated space, and, and that starts to get at helping us increase ridership for a range of abilities and ages and making sure that our system that we're building uh, thinks about people who aren't able to necessarily drive but have a different way to get around and have a safe network to do so. And I think when we looked at our Minnesota Walks work, we got even more local and macro than that and really understanding where people want to walk. And I kind of alluded to some of those earlier, so making sure we're making those connections to grocery stores and foods, uh, schools, parks, transit, 
and employment. And then we also really kind of dug in a little bit more, and Sarah touched on this somewhat, but where there are priority populations that have additional challenges with walking. So we know that it can be harder or more challenging for youth and students, older adults, people with disabilities, uh, people who have low incomes in urban areas, people living in rural communities, and our Native uh, American populations and tribal communities in greater Minnesota. And so when we have these uh, when we have these priority populations in project areas or in our planning, we should pay special attention to how we're helping them move along and across by foot or by bike. And I know that happens a lot more at the local level, and that's where people really feel it, and it's not just the state-level planning precedent. Matthew and Sarah, how about from the city perspective? What, what do you see? Well, I think there's a couple things that I'll add to what Amber mentioned. One is um, a preference for people that bike to have some type of physical separation from, you know, moving motor vehicles. Um, and so we think of that as a low-stress bicycle network. Um, and so in 2015, the city of Minneapolis passed a protected bikeway update to our bicycle master plan that called for up to 48 miles of protected bikeways by 2020. Um, and we were on, on pace to hit that target. Um, and that, that plan really um, is, sort of was generated from this raising need um, or I guess um, raising demand to provide that physical separation from the uh, motorized travel. Um, and so what we've been doing in Minneapolis is building a lot of um, protected bikeways on some of our higher volume streets uh, through um, bollards um, and raising the curb and providing that physical se separation. Um, and then a second, a second way that Public Works is working on health um, in our transportation planning is in the planning and programming of our capital improvement program. Um, and in 20, actually, yeah, in 2017, um, the city of Minneapolis passed a 20-year streets funding ordinance that about doubled our capital improvement program. Um, and we developed a criteria-based process with a focus on racial and economic equity uh, to prioritize street projects. And that's a big departure from how we had done it in the past which focused mostly on the, the pavement condition index or how bumpy the road was. Um, and so now we are looking at a lot of criteria that includes uh, community demographics, such as uh, non-white majority, concentrated poverty, vehicle availability, um, and potential users, as well as just the different modal needs um, for people that walk, bike, and take transit, um, as well as drive. And so that's really using equity as a lens, uh, health equity as a lens to select major uh, street reconstruction projects. Going off of what Matthew said, the, that equity criteria really lines up well with the way the health department thinks about our work and where we're focusing our efforts to, because it turns out that the same places um, where we have lots of low-income residents and lots of uh, people of color um, are the same places where we see high concentrations of chronic diseases. Um, and it's the same communities, too, that um, in, in the past have maybe been gotten less investments or have been more impacted by some transportation decisions made, um, for example, where our interstates have been placed or our high-volume roads have been placed. And um, so it's a, uh, this, this funding tool is a really great way to kind of bring some of those resources into the communities where people have less access to cars, where people need better access to physical activity, where people need better quality all of those things kind of come together in a really nice way. Amber, you talked a bit about what's going on throughout the state. 
Now, obviously, when we're talking to folks in Minneapolis, it's the largest city in the state. They have resources and staff members that can focus on these types of issues. But as you're looking at more rural parts of the state or smaller towns, what changes when you're dealing with transportation planning and health considerations in those other parts of the state? Well, I think in Minnesota, we're really fortunate to have a strong local public health system. And Sarah's just one piece of that um, cog and that, that spoken wheel system in our state. And uh, we have some, those local public health partners have funding throughout the state to look at health improvement and specifically health improvement around active living and walking and bicycling. So we have been able to leverage different areas of the state where local public health has been supportive of making improvements to walking and bicycling environments within their communities, from communities the size of Alexandria, Minnesota, which is 10,000 people more or less, and communities the size of Red Wing, um, which is smaller than Alexandria, and then even tinier and a couple thousand people, um, Grand Marais and Battle Lake, who are thinking about um, our trunk highway systems and how they relate to MnDOT projects uh, and how we can make our system, our state system better, and also how can we better plan for safe routes to school, which is something our state does. Uh, how can we better understand where and how people travel and move in our communities, and they're helping us uh, count people walking and bicycling before and after we're doing projects. Um, so th- they were really fortunate to have people helping us think through this at a statewide level and in different pockets of the state and in communities of different sizes. Matthew and Amber, both of you come from more of a transportation background, so I'm curious how the two of you, either together or individually, work with partners in the health industry to coordinate transportation and health. That's an interesting question. So one thing that all three of us have in common is that we've all worked with uh, health departments um, as a part of our career. So I used to work for the Minnesota Department of Health um, as the active transportation coordinator, and Amber um, used to also work for the Minnesota Department of Health as the physical activity coordinator. So we all we all do have that sort of an active living um, lens. Um, but specifically to your question about how I work with health in Minneapolis, um, one way is through the bicycle and pedestrian advisory committees. Um, so I staff those committees in Minneapolis, and one of the cool features of the committees is that we have what we call agency partners um, appointed to the committee um, at, in addition to um, residents of the city that are um, appointed by the city council. And so Sarah in the health department is on those committees, and that's a great opportunity for us um, in public works to work with Sarah um, on a monthly basis to help advise us or work with work with us on all of our transportation projects, um, including the policies that we um, pass and the infrastructure that we build. And so that's a really nice sort of integrated way for us to be uh, working together. I mean, I think we find opportunities to partner together and kind of be at the same tables in, you know, policy discussions like Vision Zero planning, um, you know, Public Works reached out and invited health, and we were part of those conversations. Um, COP planning, um, that includes, you know, transportation planning. Health had a seat at that table, too, and it, it's it's nice because you can – we learn a lot, first of all. I mean, I think that's one thing people in public health really appreciate, the opportunity to be at these tables and really kind of understand these systems better. Um, but then we're able to um, kind of weigh in and, and talk about 
you know, the populations we work with and how the different decisions are impacting them and, um, you know, kind of make a case for how, how our transportation system could better support um, people being healthy. So I, I guess we really appreciate being at those policy-level conversations. And I'd say I think we're at, at the state level, we're working on being pretty integrated, and it's not to say that we've got it all figured out, but I think we're on a good path to uh, thinking about health in different areas. And the Minnesota Department of Transportation and the Department of Health actually have a a memorandum of understanding about how to work together on different components of our work. So there, it calls out some pretty specific areas where we can be more intentional about how we're doing our work together. And that includes um, what the areas of injury prevention or traffic safety and, and what are the opportunities for us to think about that. And that has direct impacts on people walking and bicycling. What are the areas of environmental health that we can, can work with? Um, within our statewide multimodal planning or even within our environmental stewardship work here at the state DOT. And then uh, what are some of the health improvement or chronic disease prevention things that we can be working on together in terms of providing um, integrated and, and connected networks for people to walk and bike. So the MOU is one way that we're formally doing it. I, I think we have some decent relationships in different areas and pockets throughout both agencies to continue to advance that work and continue to do better at it, and, and in particular do better in areas that we maybe haven't served as well in the past. All three of you are involved with active transportation, bicycling, walking, things of that sort. When you work with people who primarily are focused on public health, where do you see opportunities for them to both be educated in terms of how transportation fits into it, and where they can better support more biking and walking activities and overall active transportation. You know, I, and my initial reaction, and, and, and I'm certainly curious what Sarah Matthew have to say, is that one of the biggest lessons that we've learned over the years is the appropriate timing of things. I think we have local public health or folks and, and partners who are so interested in making sure that we're building supportive places that it's sometimes that we just need to talk a little bit more about what is the timing of this. And and what I mean by that is we can have plans and we have plans that kind of indicate where, where we want to see things. But then when projects arise, wh how do we actually make sure that those plans are implemented and that community input and feedback is heard uh, and carried through? And that doesn't happen two years before a construction project, but we're talking five to six years out and getting communities and partners interested in being supportive of thinking through their community needs differently or thinking through what their community needs are before a project comes through and, and getting them excited about it as opposed to just the summer before it happens or the summer before the construction season when it immediately impacts them. Uh, so, to me, that's one of the biggest areas uh, of of opportunity for us to continue to do to do better at, and I think we're getting there. I mean, I think Amber is, is absolutely right. I think um, you know the the time scale, the time frame, time scale of planning for transportation is not some is not one that most people work in, <laughs> um, at least not in public health. I mean, we we think long term, but we're not you know, planning to implement something in six years where it's just not how we work. Um, and so it's a big learning curve. And I think um, I've really appreciated the times that um, people working in transportation have taken the time to help me understand 
and, and to be a better kind of advocate for health within those contexts. But I think it also helps when, when you know, the people who have a health background are more aware um, and understand these things. What it does is it lets the people working in public health who have a lot of community relationships, who are working deep within some communities, um, especially ones that are often not kind of really connected to transportation planning, is that we can then bring that information out to them and then help those um, same communities get involved at the right time. Um, so I think it is a really important, um, you know, an important learning for people in public health that can um, really help carry things forward. Um, here in Minneapolis, um, you know, the health department has been pretty active and in, in, involved in um, working in transportation, and I think um, it involves a few things. One is, um, like I said, we have kind of a different relationship with community members and sometimes really deep relationships within communities. And so I think we have this ability to engage residents. Um, like I was talking about earlier, we've done a lot of engagement with public housing residents and have been able to take that information and share it with our transportation folks in the city to kind of make changes for that population, that, um, for one example. Um, we're also experts in kind of behavior change and in thinking about encouraging um, and educating folks. So an example of that right now is we're, um, the, the city Department of Public Works is getting ready to roll out some bike and pedestrian infrastructure projects in one particular neighborhood this summer. We are coupling that with um, um, working with our partners in this in a community to um, implement kind of um, education and encouragement and connecting people to resources that they need to actually be able to use that new infrastructure. So we want to kind of build up the demand and build up the use of that after it's built. Um, we also bring some evaluation expertise. <laughs> um, your health department staff do have a lot of experience with that, um, have access to different kinds of data, for example, hospital data um, that can help with transportation planning and decision-making. At the Minneapolis Health Department, we've been a really um, uh, big partner in uh, planning of exploring and planning this idea of a street-to-greenway conversion in North Minneapolis that has led from community engagement to plan development to a pilot and an evaluation um, where we've been um, in, some, in some ways leading that work with, in partnership with um, our uh, public work staff. So it can look a lot of ways, but those are just some of my, my thoughts about how it could happen. While the three of you work in the world where transportation and public health overlap, I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of transportation professionals who don't necessarily focus on that in their day-to-day -day work. They might be uh, highway engineers or transit professionals. Do you find that at this point there's still a lot of education that you have to do? Is there a lot of convincing that you have to do about the importance of coordinating these two areas? The short answer is yes. And if I, and if I were to elaborate more on it, I think part of the yes is also related to what we currently measure in our transportation system and how that affects where funding goes. So just a very high-level example, a lot of our performance measures, or oftentimes many performance measures for states are around pavement quality. And when pavement quality is what you're measuring, pavement quality is what you're going to invest in making better. And so there, and some of the things that we're still on the cusp of really getting a, a better idea of what are the implications and what are the estimates for systems and networks that are 
connected and safe for people walking and bicycling to really get um, numbers and heart and data around it, right? Um, so we do, we do. There is room to kind of work work more with folks uh, about what are the benefits and why it's important. And some of the things that we do at our at, at MinDot is what we have a bicycle facility um, and network training that we do where we talk about uh, what are what does it mean to what does a bicycle facility look like and mean and what does it feel like to ride and experience it and how what kinds of ch- small changes are we talking about that you can think through on your projects that don't add an awful lot to the additional cost um, so that's one thing and then another thing is is that sometimes we'll go out on scoping and field walks uh, or, or with our ADA folks, and that's something that we're going to be more strategic about doing in the future to say, here's here's what we're thinking about and looking at when we want to create a connected um, pedestrian and bicycle network. And this is how it's it goes beyond um, meeting ADA compliance. I have a slightly different answer in in the city of Minneapolis to that. And so I believe to a lesser degree, um, I am trying to convince people of the value um, of health and transportation, because I think we have um, really strong policy guidance um, and design guidance in Minneapolis right now. Um, and I found my role has largely evolved to, um, to be more focused on providing sort of uh, design guidance related to um, some of the changing um, guidance out there, NACTO and otherwise, um, so things like protected intersections and floating bus stops and, you know, new, new pedestrian um, design, um, and really just making sure that we are staying up to date on the latest guidance. Um, and so my role has has really shifted um, from maybe an internal advocate um, to more of an internal um, technical um, advisor. We're doing this interview in April. According to the calendar, it is spring. I'm looking right now as I'm talking to you in Minnesota that you have a winter storm warning in effect. When you talk about Minnesota, obviously you're talking about cold temperatures for a good part of the year. How does that affect active transportation and the planning that you do for it? I would imagine it's quite different from what they're doing, say, in Florida. I'll start with that question because I've had the opportunity to travel for work uh, to warmer climates. And when I look at the infrastructure that other cities um, you know, put, put on the ground, you can you can tell that they don't have to deal with winter because they can do more things in the right of way that would get um, hit or knocked over with a, a Minnesota plow, um, and so street design is really impacted by our winter um, in Minneapolis and in Minnesota, um, and so we just have to have to deal with that. Um, and then second, in in Minneapolis, we are currently working on a pedestrian bicycle winter maintenance study um, that is really looking at our existing practices around. Um, clearing for people that walk and bike, uh, what other cities are doing, and then identifying a variety of options to uh, improve winter maintenance. We try to frame it as, you know, we are a walking and biking city, um, and it's important all year round, um, and we can control uh, the maintenance, and we can't control the weather. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, ITE is going to be holding their joint 
ITE International and Midwestern Great Lakes District's annual meeting and exhibit in Minneapolis. It's going to be in August. I think it's safe to say the snow will be gone by by that time. With all of you based in Minnesota, can you share some of the, the synergies that are going on there between health and transportation that attendees can look forward to seeing or experiencing when they're visiting Minneapolis? Uh, we're very much looking forward to hosting um, the ITE conference, and there will be a great walking tour um, as well as a bicycling tour, and those will be opportunities um, for attendees to um, get out of you know the conference setting and uh, experience what it's like to walk in downtown Minneapolis, and um, the biking tour will get people out of downtown Minneapolis and see a variety of bikeway types that we've been um, installing in Minneapolis. Um, so I would encourage people to sign up for those fasts. Well, you've been listening to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast as we conclude our series on transportation and health. If you'd like to hear more about what's happening with respect to transportation and health in Minnesota, as well as in the U.S., Canada, and around the world, plan on attending the Joint ITE International and Midwestern Great Lakes District's annual meeting and exhibit in Minneapolis this August. The technical program for this meeting includes sessions on improving access to healthy transportation alternatives, equity, complete streets, speed management, and more. And you can visit the ITE website at www.ite.org for more details. Again, this month I've been joined by Amber Dahlman, the Pedestrian, Bicycle, and Transit Planning Supervisor with the Minnesota Department of Transportation, Matthew Deerdahl, the Bicycle and Pedestrian Coordinator in the Department of Public Works for the City of Minneapolis, and Sarah Stewart, Active Living Coordinator for the Minneapolis Health Department. Thank you all for being our guests this month. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And welcome to Minneapolis in August.